morning. Praise the Lord. God is so good. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we need you to speak to us this morning. We thank you, God, how you've been stirring us. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I, I'm looking to you this morning, God, to produce what only you could produce. Lord, we need something supernatural, Lord. We're not counting on the natural. We need the supernatural. You're a supernatural God. And Lord, I thank you that you're turning our hearts, our eyes away from everything else that we might depend on, that we might look to, Lord. And Lord, it's you drawing us to believe you, to look to you, to hold faith in your promises to believe for this generation, to believe for the miraculous, to believe for you to do above and beyond what we know to ask or think. It's you stirring us. It's you urging us on, Lord. It's you wooing us and drawing us, Lord. And God, I'm asking this morning that you would give us hearts that would continue to respond to you. I pray you would break that wall of religion down as we sang. Break it down. Just smash it into a million pieces, Lord. Just like you had to do with your people over and over and over, Lord. Let it be a matter of the heart, Lord. Make us true worshipers who worship God in spirit and in truth, Lord. So God, I'm asking for your word to accomplish what you desire in our hearts, Lord. I pray you would subdue all the flesh in this room by your power. I pray you will subdue the enemy. I pray you will take authority over him. Bind him and shut his mouth. And I pray that your truth would arise and that your word would accomplish what you desire it to accomplish. And I thank you, and I trust you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We are going to look at the topic of fasting today. I felt a little kind of shaking when I said that. I, I don't particularly... Um, Look forward to fasting all the time, denying myself. It's something God's been encouraging me to do of late and more and more, making it real to me just the importance of this topic we are going to look at today. In the beginning of Matthew 6, Jesus covers certain areas that the religious people of his day had made simply outward things they did. Mostly to just look good to people around them, but what Jesus was actually doing was trying to break that wall of religion that they had created, and he was trying to teach them something that needed to happen in their hearts so that he could do what he came to do in their lives. And so he deals with how they should give, how they should pray. And then in verse 16, in Matthew 6, he says, And when you fast, 
Don't be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in heaven, who sees you in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. And later in chapter 9 of Matthew, the Pharisees, the religious people, were upset because Jesus' disciples weren't fasting. And Jesus said this to them, The days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast, meaning his disciples. So the inference is pretty clear when we look at what Jesus is saying. He's basically saying, my people, my disciples will be a people who fast. So the title of my message today is, When You Fast, or It's Time to Fast. It's time to fast. And this wasn't new for the people of Jesus' day. They had practiced it continuously, all the way back to the time of Moses. Many times in the Bible we see places where God's people fasted, whether it was right before a major victory or they just needed a miracle or an answer to prayer or direction. It was a part of how God prepared them for blessing. Moses fasted when he received the Ten Commandments. The Israelites fasted when Jehoshaphat heard of this vast army that was coming against his people. And it says, when he heard it, he called a fast. It says, he resolved to inquire of the Lord. He proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. And we know what happened in that story. God gave them the victory. Daniel fasted when he knew the 70 years of captivity were over. He began to seek God and to fast and to pray to know what he should do. Nehemiah fasted when he came back to Jerusalem and he saw all the ruins and what had happened because of the people and the sin of the people. It says... When he heard these things, he sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Jesus fasted before he entered into ministry. It says in Luke 4, 1, 2, there's a little uh, feedback back here. It sounds like it's bass. Luke 4, verses 1 and 2 says, Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. That means he fasted. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And we know that he faced 
three temptations that all of us face in life. And he overcame them by the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's interesting. I came across this that it says when he went, he was full of the Holy Spirit. But then afterwards, in Luke 4.14, we read that he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he went full. And then when he came back, he was in the power of the Holy Spirit. The early church regularly fasted and prayed. We see it in Acts 13. While it says, verse 2, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work. They sought God. They fasted. They prayed to know what God's will was. To know where to go, who to send, to anoint. It says in Acts 14, 23, so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. We see fasting played a vital role in Paul's ministry. His first encounter with Christ on the Damascus Road, we see immediately after that, he spends three days with no food, with no water. God preparing the vessel. It says in Acts 9, verse 8, Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. And after his conversion, we see Paul regularly fasted by what he says in his writings. When he is commending himself as a minister to God in 2 Corinthians 4, he says many times, you know, much in patience and tribulation and needs, in distresses and stripes, imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. In 2 Corinthians 11:26, he says, in fastings often. It was a regular occurrence. Fasting has been a vital part of the church for 2,000 years. I was reading an article where a guy said he did a search of all the revivals that have ever taken place beginning in Acts chapter 2. And he put in the word fasting, and the computer couldn't handle all the instances that fasting was tied to revival. It was over 5,000. So there's clear, documented evidence that all the great leaders, all the revival movements of the church use this amazing key to add power to their prayers. Jonathan Edwards, who was God's instrument in the revival for New England, fasted and prayed. He fasted 22 hours before his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, where people were clutching onto their pews because they felt like hell was opening up under, underneath them. And it says he was older in life and he was actually reading with his glasses his sermon. 
But God and his power opened up their eyes to the reality of their spiritual condition. Because there was a man fasting and praying and seeking God for his power and what only he can do. Charles Finney, one of the greatest revival leaders in history, was a man who fasted and prayed. D.L. Moody was not unfamiliar with fasting and prayer. During the prayer revival in America in 1859 in New York City, one man looking at the landscape of the land and, and just how debauched our society had become. I've been thinking about this. Like, what would these people think today? What, what would happen? What, how would they respond if they read our news, if they, they saw what was happening right now? Well, this man saw it, and, and God moved him to start a prayer meeting at the lunch hour. Instead of eating, people began meeting for prayer for their lunch break in New York City, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. And two years later, over a million people got saved. One million people came to Christ. Matthew Henry said this, fasting is a valuable practice that we have reason to lament that is generally neglected by Christians. And, and I have to tell you this morning, I have neglected this, and God is dealing with me about it. I've done it here and there. But I just, I'm going to be honest with you. I can't think of the last time I did it. I'm embarrassed to say that. I remember times, but the more I studied this, the more I looked at this topic, I got overwhelmed with the need to start seeking God the way the, the heroes of faith have sought him for 2,000 years because the hour we are living, the need, this generation, they need God to move they need God to, to move in the supernatural. They need God to come down from heaven. They need uh, people that are going to go after God, just like people did for two thousands of years at times of crisis. And somehow God got a hold of them, and they grieved, they mourned, they saw what was going on, and they didn't just rend their clothes or, or put on sackcloth. They rent their hearts, and they fasted, and they prayed, and they cried out to God for their generation. That's what we need today. We don't need church as usual. We need a move of God. That is the only answer for today. And I just want to say before we go any further, fasting is not twisting God's arm, earning points with God, making God a genie in a bottle. God cannot be blackmailed by human effort. God wants to answer our prayers, but it's solely by his grace that he does so. We saw in Jesus' discourse in Matthew 6, fasting never has a view of self-righteousness. Just doing it as a religious exercise, so I, I look to be religious and impress others and try to impress God. 
Outward religion, outward works doesn't impress God. He looks at the heart. God is always, always looking at the heart. Fasting and prayer helped position a man named Cornelius to be a major player in a historic inclusion of the Gentiles into the family of God. It's believed that his household was the first Gentiles to receive the gospel. So I want to look at that account in Acts chapter 10. Because really it, it is um, just powerful to see what God does when we seek him in this way. When we give our hearts to him in this way. Acts chapter 10 verse 1 says... There was a man, a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid. And he said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial to God. Who wants their prayers and alms to come up before God like a memorial? I do. When I read that, I said, Lord, I want my prayers to come up to your throne room like that. So why did his prayers come up to God like a memorial? Who was this man, Cornelius? He was a Roman, a centurion no less, but had somehow been converted to Judaism. And he was practicing Judaism, he, he put his trust in the one true God. He didn't know anything about the gospel. But he obviously forsook the idolatrous worship that they were accustomed to. And he chose to follow the one true God. And as best as he could, he was just following what they were supposed to do. But you know what? He so outpaced his Jewish brothers. He had something that I think a lot of the Jews just didn't have in that day. He had something in his heart that motivated him. He wasn't just doing religious exercises. And God took notice of this man. He took notice of him. It says he was a devout man who feared God. Again, he was a worshiper of the one true God. He had respect for God and his commandments. His, he wanted to please God in everything he did. And it says he was a giver. He, he gave. He gave alms to the people. He was a very generous man. And it also says he prayed always. He always prayed. And we see from verse 30 that that included fasting. Because it's down in verse 30 where it says, after God has visited him and he's explaining to Peter what happened, 
He says, four days ago I was fasting. Until this hour and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms are remembered in the sight of God. So there it is again. God has heard you. Your prayer has come up to God's throne room. He's taken notice of your prayer. I, I want that. We need our prayers to go up to God's throne room in this hour. We need God to take notice and look down and say, there's a man, there's a woman that's praying my heart. There's a man, there's a woman that I can work my plan through. There's a people, there's a body, there's a church that understands where to look and how to approach me and the heart attitude they need to get my attention. And God knows already <laughs> what he's going to do. They don't know yet, but God knows what he is about to do, and it's glorious. Your prayers and alms have come up for a memorial before God, and he finds himself in a position where God, first of all, can speak to him because he's saying, what are you saying to me, Lord? What, what do you have to say to me? Same thing with Paul, right? When God met Paul on the road to Damascus, right? What is it, Lord? What do you want? And after three days, God sends a man of God because he's got Paul now where he wants him, where he could hear God. And God's going to speak to him. And just like he sent Peter to Cornelius, God has something to say to him. He's ready now. He's, he can hear. He's, he's in tune. He's prepared his heart. His prayers and alms came up for a memorial before God. It's an allusion to the sacrifice, the meat sacrifice, the burnt offering that it talks about in the Old Testament, that Romans 12 talks about, where it says it comes up to God like a sweet-smelling aroma. And that's what the prayer is like, because it's, it's given in that same sacrifice, that heart sacrifice, just laying my life on the altar, humbling myself, bringing everything to God and laying it at his feet. And it goes up to him when you pray like that, when you bring your life at his feet that way. It's like that whole burnt offering. It, it's a sweet smelling aroma to him. And we get his attention. So his prayer this man's prayer is often in humility and with the whole heart. His offering was the heart. Again, it wasn't just an external religious exercise he was doing. God saw his heart. There's something about prayer and fasting when our hearts are right. James 5.16 says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Part of fasting is making sure we're not just doing it as a religious exercise or to lose weight. Oh, I'm going to just fast. Yo, I'll lose weight. Great. That's not why we fast. It's a hard attitude. Isaiah 58 really deals with fasting in the wrong way. And it shows us the importance of our hearts 
and our lives being right with God. Otherwise, you could do all the religious exercise you want. You could put dust on your head, put on sackcloth. You could cry out to God, and God will have this to say to you. If your life's not right, if you're not living right, and your life's not right, God will say to you just what he said to the children of Israel in Isaiah 58. Cry aloud. Spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Oh, they seek me daily. They delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of God. They ask me of the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God and they say, why have we fasted? And you have not seen. It makes me think, did their prayers come up like a stench to God? Why have we afflicted our souls? And you take no notice. And God says, in fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. You exploit all of your laborers. And he just goes on a whole list of how they are just living totally unmerciful, selfish lives and not living in the spirit of the law, which is mercy, which is loving others and putting others before yourself. And they're thinking, if I just do these outward religious exercises, this is going to get God's attention, and God is trying to help them. And he says to them for, further down in verse 6, Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked? You cover for him. You, you don't hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light will break forth speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry. He will say, here I am. If you take awake the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, speaking wickedness, if you extend your, your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light will dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as noonday. Then the Lord will guide you continually. He will satisfy your soul and dry. He will strengthen your bones. You will be like a water garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Sounds like revival. You will be revived. God will pour out his spirit on you. You will have a blessing you cannot contain. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day. And call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and you shall honor him, not doing your own ways, not finding your own pleasure nor speaking your own words, then you will delight yourself in the Lord. 
I was reading an article. I haven't finished it yet. You know, part of what we're praying for is revival, right? We want God to move, right? We want God to open the windows of heaven, right? Lord, help me find this. Most people, when they pray for revival, typically are asking for a wonderful experience at church. But revival is much more than a Sunday morning service. When you pray for revival, you are asking God for life-shaking experiences that will cost you plenty. It's agonizing because in revival, you become terrorized over your own sin. You repent deeply. It's consuming because in revival, there's no time for hobbies, chores around the house, for work, for sleep. Revival crashes your daytimer, interrupts your entertainment. It demands your full attention. Usually when we pray for revival, we're, tell, we're telling God, sick them. On the bad guys, little do we realize revival bit begins with us, the people of God. So we're praying for revival. Do we understand what that really means? Are we prepared to cry out like so many saints have done for 2,000 years now? Nothing less is the answer for the hour we are living in. Church as usual, just sitting under some nice teachings, just going to church and doing my churchy things is not going to affect this generation. We need to begin to cry out like never before. We need to seek God with all of our hearts, minds, soul, and strength. And, and fasting is just one part of that. But it's a picture of what people are willing to do to go after God. Because I don't know about you, but food's kind of hard to deny yourself of. I know it is for me. It's something we need, right? We can't live without food. Makes you cranky. It causes all kinds of things. But really, God wants everything. He wants everything. So we don't want to be like the children of Israel. We don't want to be like the guy in Luke 18 who goes to the temple and thanks God. I fast twice a week. I give my money to the poor. And I'm glad I'm not like that guy. That guy that's a sinner. And the sinner, all he could do was beat his breast, say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, who went home justified? Not the guy fasting and giving his money. The guy whose heart was rending. That guy probably hadn't eaten either. But it was because he was so overcome with his own condition. And I don't know, maybe the condition of the people around him. That he found himself in the temple. Just broken, rending his heart before God. Crying out to God. Be merciful to me. And God met him. That's what we need today. That's the only hope for this country. 
That's the only hope for the church. This kind of posture. Fasting should always be connected with a humbling of ourselves and repentance. Always. An inward rending of the heart that in turn is shown by an earnest seeking of God. Again, it's not just, I'm going to deny myself. This is what it should be. We see this over and over and over in Scripture. In James 4, verse 3, it says, You ask and don't receive, because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Your heart's not right. Then further down, in verse 5, it says, The, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. But he gives grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself. Rend your heart. Get your heart right. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. We don't like talk like that in the church. Cleanse your hands, you sinners! God says that to me all the time. And I'm so thankful he does. Because I got something to repent of every day. This mouth, you name it. And God is constantly saying, Jeff, repent. Repent, turn to me. Repent of that. I want a clean vessel. My vessels are holy. If you really want me to, to, to move and to answer your prayers, I need a holy vessel. <clears throat> draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, weep. Again, that's a picture of that rending of the heart, which we always see coupled with fasting. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. We see this in Nehemiah's day, where it says in Nehemiah 9, that the Israel separated themselves from all the strangers. They stood, they confessed their sins and their iniquities of the fathers. And it says they were assembled with fasting and sackcloth. In Ezra 8, it says, I proclaim the fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before God to seek him the right way for us and our little ones and all of our possessions. David, in Psalm 35, says in verse 13, I humbled my soul with fasting. So fasting and prayer done in the right spirit, you know what it does? It activates things in the spiritual realm. And we see in Acts 10, verse 9, as Cornelius is fasting in prayer, God is working out his plan. And, and while he's there, God's visiting Peter in another town. And it says Peter's hungry. So I don't know if he was fasting, but it says he was hungry. He could smell the food. They were preparing food. But he's on the rooftop. He's seeking God. He's praying. And so God, you understand, there's a supernatural realm. And God's 
dispatching messengers. He's listening to prayers. He's doing things in the, in the supernatural. That's, that's what the church is supposed to be. That's how God wants us to operate. That wasn't just for then. We need it now more than ever to be led by the Spirit, to get a word from God, to go to over here and go over there and speak a word to someone that God has already been preparing to bring salvation to their household, whatever it may be. So we see in verse 9, the next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter was on the housetop praying about the sixth hour. He became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And I'm not going to read it all, but basically God showed him what he was going to do and that there was a man praying that two men were going to come and get him, and that he needed to go with him. And he was basically telling him, Peter, I know your religion tells you all these things are unclean, but it's not that way anymore. I'm doing something different, Peter. This is for everybody. I got a great harvest, Peter, that's coming. And I'm using you right now to go to the first family. Just think about it. Think about that. What if you're the first one in your family, in your generation that maybe has been cursed? What if you're the first one God uses for a certain group of people, for a place? Are you willing to go after God like this so he can use you that way? So further down... He's now explaining. Peter goes, and now Cornelius is explaining to Peter. In verse 29, he says, Therefore, Peter's saying, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for, so I asked, what do you want? And Cornelius said, Four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your arms are remembered in the sight of God. Send to Joppa, therefore, and call Simon, whose surname is Peter. And so that happened. And Peter begins to just share the gospel. And it's not the old Peter. It's not the old Peter. Peter's already been full and baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he's sharing the gospel. And, and it says his household, but you understand, there's servants Maybe there's other soldiers there. There's a group of people there. It's the birth of a church. And there's Peter preaching the gospel. And all he did was pray on a housetop. But it was another man praying. And God's arranging the whole thing. And it says in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, they didn't even have an altar call. He's just telling them. And all of a sudden... The Spirit of God falls on them. It fell upon all those who heard the word, all of them. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. And they came to Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues. And they magnified God. And Peter answered, can anyone forbid water 
that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. What was that like? You know, why not? Why not? Why can't that happen at Meadowview? Why not? Why not? Why not? Why can't it happen next door? Why not? Why can't it happen across the street? Why not? We serve the same God. He hasn't changed. He's just looking for people that are really going to believe him and go after him for that. Through Cornelius, the door of the gospel opened up to the entire Gentile world. Amazing. We've been preparing ourselves for special meetings. And I'll say this again. There is nothing more important than you being at every meeting. Nothing. Nothing. If I were the prophet Joel, if I were Ezekiel, if I were Nehemiah, if I was one of the heroes of faith standing here today, I would shout it as hard as I can. I would proclaim a fast. I would tell everyone to gather that we need to come together and we need to seek God. And we need to fast and we need to pray and we need to believe God to heal our land. That's what I would do. What do you believe in God for? You need a breakthrough? Are you praying for somebody else? A family member, a child? You need a breakthrough? Are you believing for someone to be saved? My wife, God gave her this same passage about Cornelius and his household, and she used that, and she chose to fast every Friday for her father, Jose, her stepdad, until he was saved. Hmm? What are we willing to go through to do to get God's attention? There's souls perishing. There's a whole generation being seduced by the enemy. They are so lost. They're, I think they're like the most lost generation maybe there ever was. I, I don't know. There's just more deception, more ways the enemy has. I watch kids with their phones, and they're just glued to their phones, and I know what's coming out of that phone, and it's the devil, and he's, he's changing and warping their minds, and he's, he's, he's diverting their attention from God and the things that really matter. He's seducing them because he only has one goal, to kill, destroy every single child. His desire would be to distinct this whole generation. That's his goal. What do you believe in God for? We need renewal. We need guidance, right? We need grace, maybe, for a difficult situation. 
I had a situation yesterday. I simply had to run to God. Prayed in tongues. Just didn't know what to pray. Just, I got to pray in the spirit. I don't even know what to pray. And God intervened. God gave wisdom. God gave direction. Jesus made an interesting comment in Mark 9, 29. And he was basically remarking on the inability of his disciples to cast a demon out. And he said, um, basically, this kind only comes out through fasting and prayer. In other words, there's some situations which are so troubled by demonic powers that nothing less than fasting and prayer will create the faith to believe God to cast it out, to break the, the stronghold, to break a principality over an area, a people, a generation, whatever you want to call it. Fasting and prayer releases God's supernatural power. That's what we need. We need a de demonstration today of God's supernatural power. King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, like I said earlier, saw this vast army. And he resolved to inquire of the Lord. He proclaimed a fast for all Judah. And they came together to seek help from the Lord. They came from every town in Judah to seek God. You know, they didn't hop in their cars and drive across town. They probably walked from other towns. They had to send messages to them. You know, they had to leave everything behind. It took effort. It's kind of easy for us to get where we need to go, if you really think about it. United prayer and fasting has always been used by God to give a decisive blow to the enemy. In his prayer, Jehoshaphat said, Our God, will you not judge them? We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do. I know there's many people, they look at what's going on in the world, they look at this generation, and we have that sense. What do you do? What do you do? How do you come against this? How do you deal with this? And that's basically what he's saying. We, we can't do this, God. This is out of our hands. This is out of our control. We need you to intervene. We need you to do something. We don't know, even know what to do. And he gives them some crazy instructions, by the way. <laughs> he tells them to go out to war with worshipers ahead of the army. And God doesn't even need his army. He just brings confusion in the enemy's camp, and they all kill each other. It's the, it's the same God. It's the same God we're seeking today. We don't know what to do. We have no power. So they turn to God for supernatural help. They knew which way to turn. It was by fasting. They renounced the natural to invoke the supernatural. That's what God is looking for us to do. I said this in the beginning. 
I'll say it again. What if Esther were standing here? And she saw this whole generation. The enemy is set to just kill and destroy every single one of them. What would she say? Exactly what she said when her people were facing extinction. It says, go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan. Fast for me. I will neither eat or drink for days, night or day. Me and my maidens, we will fast likewise. We will go unto the king, which is not according to law. And if I perish, I perish. I don't care if I have to totally lay my life down. It costs me my life. I don't care. There's too much at stake. That's what we're facing today. There's too much at stake. Are we ready to do what's necessary? In Joel chapter 1, the whole book really points to really what we're reading about in the New Testament. It's a promise from God. But in the beginning of Joel, verse 14, it's, he says, Consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the elders, all the inhabitants of the land, into the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to him. This is the only recourse we have left. And then in chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. I'm not looking for outward religious exercises. Rend your heart. Pray for brokenness. Pray for my heart. Not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's of great kindness. He relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn or relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. That's what we're doing in a sense. That's what we've been doing in a sense. And then in verse 28, he prophesies. And it will come to pass afterward. I will pour out my spirit on, your, on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants, on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So they're fasting and praying hundreds of years before Peter stands up in Acts chapter 2. A nobody fisherman, an unlearned man, is now receiving the answer to their prayers. And God is birthing his church and everything Jesus did is coming forth in, in glory and in power in answer to this prayer. 
because people were willing to come together. They were willing to cry out to God. They were willing to rend their hearts. And we see in Acts 2, Peter, when everyone's wonder in wonderment, what's going on? What, what's happening? We've never seen anything like this. Are these men drunk? What is going on? And Peter says, raising his voice, he said, Men of Judea, Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And heed my words. These are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Ha. Huh. God is faithful. He will do what he promised. He is faithful. Jesus said, when you fast. In other words, he expects us to fast and pray. Which means it should be normal to our prayer life, to our seeking of God. I have a handout in the back for you. Um, I do want to encourage those who want to fast for these meetings to do it and to believe God for whatever situation, for whatever you might need or someone else, but mostly, most of all, for this generation. We need to cry out. We need to believe that God is going to come down in those meetings, and he's going to do something in us just like he did in the disciples so that we can say when when people in town when your family members when other place you go and people say what is this i've never seen anything like this we could say oh well this is what joel talked about this is just what god does jesus is alive and he's here to save you and you're not too hard there's nothing too hard for you let me tell you what my god can do let me show you what my God can do. So I'm going to end this way. Um, I don't know who's here today. I know we have some visitors. If you don't know the Lord, if you're not born again, you need to begin to seek God. You need to open your heart to God this morning. I don't know if you've maybe heard the gospel a hundred times. But all I do know is you're not guaranteed tomorrow. So if you're in this house today, if you're online today, just like Cornelius who God saw, and maybe you're at home, maybe you've been secretly crying out. Maybe you know there's something in it, you know there's one true God, just like Cornelius, but you don't understand it all yet, just like he didn't. Maybe someone's been praying and fasting for you. God is here today for you. Jesus Christ is here for you today, and he can save your soul but you have to respond to him. You have to acknowledge, just like we do, just like he had to. 
Lord, I've sinned. That's what rending your heart means. You have to take God, I have sinned. My life is what it is because I'm a sinner, because I have rejected God. I have suppressed the truth. That's why I'm bound. That's why I don't have joy. I don't have peace. Maybe that's why my, my whole life, but people around me, I have just caused pain and, and destruction. And Lord, I am acknowledging today, I need your forgiveness. I need what you did on the cross for me. And God, I want to repent. I, I want to do what people have been doing for 2,000 years. I want to repent. I want to rend my heart, and I want you to come into my life. I need your life to come into me. I need to be revived. I feel like I'm dead inside. So if anyone here, salvation, we're going to sing a song. We're going to cry out to God, okay? You come down here, and you just cry out to God and ask him to save you. And if you need prayer, we'll pray with you. If you're, if you're online, when we're singing this song, don't cut the tape. Get on your knees and begin to cry out to God, and he will save you. Amen. Just Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. That's what gets God's attention. I need you, Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy Open my eyes, Lord. I need your healing. I need your forgiveness. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Cry out to him. And then we're going to cry out for this generation. We're going to cry out. We're going to sing this song. And when this song is done, we're going to cry out from the depths of our heart. And we're going to commit to God to fast, to pray, to believe God for this generation, for our children for our neighbors, for those that the world has said, oh, they're gone. There's no hope for them. That's who Jesus came for, and he has not changed. If he could bring a demoniac, a man insane out of his mind to his rightful senses, there's no one too hard for him. And he wants us to start believing him for that. And we need to start crying out in faith. Now, it's going to mean dealing with your own sin. It's going to mean getting the sin out of your life. It's going to mean making your vessel holy. So, you know, if you're going to fast and if you're going to cry out, you don't want to be like the children of Israel. You don't want, you don't want to say, God, I'm crying out. Why is nothing happening? And God have to say to you, well, look at what you're doing online. Well, look at what, how you're treating your spouse. You look how you are at work when you open your mouth and, and curses come out. Look at the things in your life that, that, that are still controlling you, that you're addicted to, that you won't lay at my feet and let me deliver you from. We got to start dealing with some issues if we want God to hear us. I include myself in this, okay? Your pastor stands here today not sinless, not needing God to cleanse his heart, not needing for God to deal with things in his life. But I'm desperate. I'm desperate. 
my heart is breaking and I feel helpless sometimes to reach people when I see them, but I know God can and I know I can't do it in my own strength. And as best as I can, I want this vessel prepared. I want when I pray my, my voice to reach heaven and God to move mountains in the supernatural realm for his glory so people will know he's real. This generation will know there's a God, he's real. He's not just some God your parents worship in a church or those Christians worship. He's real, he's living, he's powerful. And he loves you just like that song those girls were singing. That was anointed, girls. God used you today. I'm telling you, it was anointed. God worked through you today. And that's God's heart. He's in a passion. And he wants to break down that religious wall. Let's let him do it today. So let's sing this song. The altar's open. If anyone needs to come up here, you need God. You need to forget about what anyone cares. Blind Bartimaeus could care less. When they told him to be quiet, he just shouted louder. All he knew was, I'm blind. That man has what I need. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Don't let pride keep you from humbling yourself, repenting of your sins, and giving your life to God. And the rest of us, we're going to cry out. We're going to cry out to God after this song. Let's sing this song in faith. Let's believe God to hear our prayers. And, and you can, listen, as we're doing this, you can get your heart right right now. You can determine to get your heart right right now. Maybe there's things right now that you know God's been dealing with you and you're by faith saying, God, I'm done. I'm done. It's what's going on right now is too important. I need to get my vessel where it needs to be, Lord. The hour is late. Today is the day where I lay it down and I let you start using me in a greater way.